Thank you, Dan. If you have your Bibles this morning, <clears throat> let's turn to Proverbs chapter 20. Last week, <clears throat> you'll remember, we, we preached on one of the great upcoming events on God's calendar uh, in the Bible, and that would be the great white throne judgment. The last of seven judgments is found in the Bible that uh, we'll be going through and laying out as we uh, uh, put the Word of God together in uh, our institute but uh, certainly uh, one of the most powerful uh, judgments uh, uh, that you're going to study in the Bible. The day God, as the Bible says in Proverbs last week, will scatter all evil with his eyes. And um, we, we know now for a fact that uh, from last week that hell, as we know it, was never prepared uh, for, for you. God never intended man to go to hell. The Bible says that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. I've never understood how a Calvinist could ever hold on to what he really believes in face of that verse that says that hell was never prepared for you and me in the first place. How we could think that somebody would be predestined to go someplace that God never intended us to go. But that's, that's their problem, not mine. But um, it's an incredible uh, concept, uh, the fact that hell was never prepared for you. You know, in the Bible, uh, there's three great examples of why people are going to wind up in the lake of fire. There are three great examples why people are going to face God at that judgment and, uh, and uh, have to wind to spend eternity in the lake of fire. The first one's found back in Exodus chapter 8. And uh, I've learned, and I'm sure you have too, that uh, when you witness to people, you hear all kinds of alibis. But those alibis usually come down into three aspects which are covered in the Bible. And uh, back in Exodus chapter 8, Mero, uh, Moses goes before Pharaoh. And uh, he begins to lay out to Pharaoh what God wants Pharaoh to do. And he lays it very clear. He wants him to let the nation of Israel, those people, go. And Pharaoh's answer is one of the classic answers that unsaved men always say uh, when they're faced with what God wants them to do with, with salvation. And in Exodus chapter 8, verse 10, when Pharaoh was faced with the decision to either accept what God had told him or not, he took the route that a lot of people take, and he says, you know what, Moses? I'm going to do it tomorrow. And he said, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And people will die and go to hell because they're going to put off today salvation. Now, the Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. And uh, you're not promised tomorrow, but that's what they always say. They always say, well, tomorrow. Then you go over to <coughs> Acts chapter 24, uh, there in verse 25, and you find where Paul was talking to Felix, the Roman governor. And Paul is really, really, really witnessing to him. In fact, the Bible says uh, that uh, in verse 25 that Felix is listening to the gospel presentation. He is hearing Paul talk about the power of God. The Bible says this Roman governor, now he's married to a woman who's a Jew, so there may be a little, she may have been putting some pressure on him, but the Bible says that this <coughs> pagan Roman government, governor is listening to the gospel being presented. And the Bible says he literally trembles. And he says the second thing that unsaved people say that's going to wind them up in a lake of fire. When Paul was finished, he said, You know what, Paul? I really appreciate what you did, but it's just not convenient today for me to get saved. And that's what they're going to tell you. It's just not convenient for me. You know, my life is too busy right now. i got too many things going. It's just not convenient for me. And then the third example is found in Acts chapter 26, and that's where, again, Paul goes up against King Agrippa. And uh, in Acts chapter 26, down there in verse uh, 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 26, 27, and 28, 
Paul really is putting it to him. Paul is really, really witnessing to this guy. And uh, I always thought that that was a great example. You know, Paul's in jail. He's in prison, or he's supposed to be. And everybody that talks about Paul <clears throat> says that, you know, he's, uh, he's under Roman ca- captivity right now. I want to tell you something. If there's ever a place that shows you that no, uh, nobody, nobody can ever own a Christian, it's a position right here. He may be in jail, but he's in complete charge of the situation. He's standing before the king, and he's telling him the gospel story, and the king is listening, and he says to him, he says, King, I know you know what I'm telling you is true, because the things of God are very apparent, and the things that God has done were not hid in a corner, and you know it. You know what, you know what King Agrippa said? He said the third thing I'm, I'm saying people say. He looked at him and said, you know what, Paul? Almost you persuadeth me to become a Christian. And people are going to die and go to hell for those three reasons. Some people are going to say, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Somebody else is going to put it off and say, it's not convenient for me. And some of them, boy, I've seen them. They say, well, almost, almost. And your hymnal there on page 251 is one of the great songs that people sing. And most churches will sing it uh, as one of their invitational songs. And that is almost persuaded. And it's based on (laughs) Uh, King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. You know, God wants you to get saved so badly that in the book of Revelation, which is the capstone of the Bible, when he comes down and he lays all that stuff out, the last thing that he does in Revelation chapter 22, verses 16 and 17, is he gives one final invitation. He says, I, Jesus, have set mine angel to testify unto you these things to the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit of the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. The last thing that he does before he closes out the Bible is give one last invitation. He says in verse 12, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. To give every man according to his work shall be. He says that uh, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't have all the video games that you kids got today. We didn't have all the fun things you did. We didn't have the uh, parks that had the uh, jungle gyms in them and the great things. Uh, We had an alley. (laughs) And uh, we'd we'd make up our own games. And... uh, one of, the, one of the games we'd play was kick the can. Anybody ever play kick the can? Oh, I remember that, don't you? Uh, I would not only play with Ollie, Ollie in free. Remember that one? Uh, and what we'd do is, and I always thought about this. We'd get about, uh, you know, we'd play in the alley because you could hide behind people's garages and everything. And uh, so one guy would have to, uh, he'd have to look for everybody and everybody else would hide. So he'd, he'd have to bury himself up against the garage door, up against something, and he had to count to 100. And every, he counted one, two, three, and everybody scattered and hid. <coughs> and then when he was done counting, he turned around and he wanted everybody to know that he was now going to start to look for them. And he says, ready or not, here I come. You know what Jesus is saying right there in Revelation? Ready or not, he's coming. He's coming. I tell you what, uh, that was a great sermon we had last week, not because I preached it, just because of the truth that was in it. Uh, but it, it, we left us with the understanding that God doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell. Now, we're going to move on today in the next set of verses. 
Now, we're going to look at our next set of passage here, and again, we're going to glean some great material from it for our lives. Uh, what I think today is some of the most practical lessons of life. And I hope that you listen. I hope that, uh, I hope that you pay attention. You know, uh, I want to talk about some things today that I think that will literally uh, change your life. You know, we live in very complicated times. Uh, we, we, uh, I remember 20, 25, 30 years ago, the statistics was that half of the adult population in America had been divorced one time and half of them had been divorced again. That was, that was 30 some years ago. Today, divorce is such an easy route for people to get out of a marriage that uh, uh, they, they should have never got into in the first place. And I want to talk about a number of things today that I think will be great practical things for you about your family, about you personally, about your own relationship with God and all of the things that, uh, that, that go along with it. And uh, Proverbs chapter 20, we want to look at verse uh, 11 and 12, and, and here's what it says. It says, even a child is known by his doings, whether his work will be pure, whether it be right. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. And Father, we're going to talk today about the hearing ear and the seeing eye. And I pray, Father, today, Lord, that you'd help everyone here today listen to what the Word of God has to say. Lord, we love you. We say we believe the book. We say we love the book. But so many times, even though we say we love it and we believe it, we don't follow it. And I pray today, Father, that we'll, we'll focus and zero in on everything that you have for us. And uh, we'll be careful to thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, this is a great practical lesson on, number one, you and me as God's child and the pattern of life that we'll fall into that so easily defines us. You know, most people don't like to be rebuked. Most people don't like to, uh, there's a lot of people that don't like my style of preaching because my style of preaching can, can, can get to you. Well, there's one of you that like it, and I'm glad enough I'll show up just for you. I don't even want to know who you were, but I know who you were. Thank you. <laughs> but it's a thing where, you know, that's, that's the way God designed preaching to be. You know why God wants you to come and get your hide ripped off on Sunday morning and get good, hard preaching? Because you all got sin in your life. I got sin in my life. And, uh, and uh, when you go to Sunday morning and a preacher gets up there and preaches hard to you and you get it right with God, you know what that does? That saves God the job of coming down and meeting you on the freeway on the way home. That's a good thing. Right now, I'm not, you're not all everybody's best friend. But I'm going to tell you something. If we get to the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to be your best friend. I'll be the one guy on the planet that always told you the truth. You didn't like it all the time, oh, you see? I don't like it all the time. There's people tell me that I don't want to hear. I grew up, you know, I grew up just like you did. Now, people don't like to be rebuked. People sometimes don't like to be held accountable uh, for, the, for their actions in most cases. You know, and you know it's true. Once you start, you people who are discipling people, or you work with people in discipleship one, you've all seen it. You know, uh, you, you, get, you get four or five people like this, and then you get one jewel that'll just do whatever God tells you to do. If God said, stand on your head for six months, that's what they would do. But you all know as well as I do, you start working with somebody in discipleship and everything is fine until you hit those real issues that you have to talk about. You get into the things of their life that, uh, that now they have to be confronted with. And let's be honest. 
Human nature is such that we always want to work on the things in our lives that we really don't have to work on. We don't want to work on the things that really need to work. People always want to work on the issues that need no work, so they never uh, have to deal with the real issues in life. And that's the difference between churches that just play with the Bible and somebody else that will preach the Bible to you. And yet, we as God's child are, are known by our doings. And patterns of human nature become very clear. You know, we have the people ministry that many of you are involved in. People ministry does a lot of things, but I'll tell you primarily what it does. It lays out the patterns of human nature. It shows you why people do the things that they do. It'll show you patterns of everything and every aspect of life. You know, I would say, uh, based on my time in the Bible and dealing with people, uh, the biggest problem you had before your salvation will usually be the biggest problem you have after your salvation. Now, I know you've been taught and you've been told all your life that once you get saved, all your problems are over. That's not true. And I think that's very misleading sometimes because people (coughs) get saved and they head out the next day (laughs) and they still have their problems. And it's not a true statement. Getting saved won't take all your problems away. Getting saved will give you the ability to solve the problems you have. That's what it does. And and we we get in our lives, we we get to the place where, you know, we, we, we have these things in our life that we have to deal with, the patterns, the patterns of human nature the patterns of biblical principles. And it's, it's a truth that whatever we struggled with before we got saved going to be your biggest issue probably after you get saved. But the difference is before you got saved, you had no ability to fix it. Once you get saved, now you have the ability. You know what the question is? It's always the question. Are you going to do what you got to do to fix it? Are you going to change about you what you need to change? And I know none of us like to think we have to change anything. Wear your clothes for about six weeks and then ask yourself, do I need to change them? And in a spiritual sense, we all stink sooner or later. And uh, it's time to change some things in our lives. The learned behaviors are the patterns of human nature. And the key to the Christian life will be our ability to change the things about us that need to be changed. Last couple of weeks, we have been talking about the mixed multitude. Nobody wants to be put in that category. <clears throat> I, certainly, I certainly wouldn't go to somebody and say, well, you're the mixed multitude. I wouldn't do that. Who wants to hear that? But I, I don't. I mean, nobody wants to be put in that category. And people would become upset if somebody, uh, if I would even suggest that. You're, hi, uh, you, I really, you're part of the mixed multitude. Do you know that? She's not going to like that. Because she's not now. She's not. She's even farther out than the mixed multitude. No, I'm just kidding. Amen. I'm coming over to him in just a minute. Don't worry. I will vindicate you. Nobody wants that. And I'm, I'm always very careful, you know, that I, when I preach, I, I never preach with somebody in mind. I preach with me in mind. And then everybody else after that. I mean, uh, and it's, it's one of those things where it's, it, you know, uh, uh, but it's a truth. Based on Proverbs chapter 20, verse 11, you know, uh, uh, it, 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 people don't define you. There's no need for me to say to you, you're part of a mixed multitude. There's no need for me to say anything to you and try to define you. My job is not to define you. My job is to preach the truth to you. And you know what happens? The Holy Spirit of God, you'll define yourself. 
You'll define yourself. I mean, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, by their fruits you shall know them. I mean, it's not a question of, of somebody defining you. It's a question of the truth ferreting you out and you feel guilty about it and so you think the spotlight is on you. Not, that's not a spotlight of life. That's the Holy Spirit of God. If there was one truth about human nature that I've learned in all of my years, it's the truth that you can fake a lot of things in life. You can, but you cannot fake true spirituality. You can't. You can't. I mean, I've seen a lot of people try. I've always appreciated the folks who just never tried. What you see is what you get. You know, I've called, I used to go, I used to, people would not come to church for a while, you know, and I'd call them up on the phone or go to see them and I'd say, hey, I, you know, I, I really, I missed you the last couple of weeks and they would, uh, they would just, you know, well, you know what, we, we've been sick, you know, or we had this or we had that. And, and you know they're lying to you. I mean, nobody could be that sick. You'd be in the hospital. And, I, you know, I wish sometimes I'd just call somebody up and I'd say, hey, I missed you for a while. And they'd say, you know what? Yeah, we ain't there because we don't like it. <laughs> you know what? Your sermon, your sermon, I didn't appreciate it. It got under my skin. So we're, we're going to take a couple of weeks off till we lick our wounds. Or I'd go out and buy that person dinner. You know what? That's an honest person. I keep $20 in my wallet tucked away someplace, so if I sign somebody that tells me the truth when I ask them something about that, I just give them the $20 and thank them for being an honest person. Nobody wants to be honest today. Nobody wants to be honest. And it's an incredible, it's a credible, it's an incredible thing uh, for Christianity. And I'm going to tell you, you can fake a lot of things. You can, but you cannot fake true spirituality. Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, one of my favorite verses, If any man love God, the shame is known of him. You know, there's some things about loving God that you just can't fake. I mean, you can fake a lot of things. You can fake when you're happy when you're not. Some of you. Some of you wear your feelings on your face. I mean, you can be 100 yards away. Well, he's having a bad day. You know, I mean, but some of you can fake it very well. I try to never let people know what I'm feeling because I've got to be in a position where I've got to always be positive. But I'll be honest, sometimes I'm up here preaching Bible. I'm not very positive, but you won't know it because I can fake it good, see? But I'll tell you, when it comes to your relationship with God, if any man love God, the same is known of him. Uh, there are just certain patterns that are present when you love God, uh, the Lord. And, uh, I mean, and I'll give it to you. You can fake a lot of things. You can fake a lot of things. But there are patterns to salvation. You know why I worry about some people in my own church that I wonder if they're really saved or not? People that were here and gone, and maybe some that are even here. And I worry about you. I do. And the reason why I worry about you is because you're a great guy or a great gal and you're, you know, you're, you're a great person. But I've never seen in your life the pattern change of what it should be when you got saved. Now, I'm not making a judgment on anything. I'm just telling you there's patterns in salvation. When you start to deal with people, you'll be able to tell pretty quickly when somebody's trying to sham you. You know why? Because there's pattern of deceptions in the Bible. Learn the patterns, everybody falls into them. The human nature in the Bible is the same human nature that we face every day. And, and the Bible will define us so clearly that a blind man could see it. Now, our great second practical lesson here out of Proverbs chapter uh, uh, 20, verse 11 and 12 where the first aspect deals with you and me as a child of God, the second one here will be a reference to your children, our own children. The verse says, Even a child is known by his doings, 
whether his work be pure and whether it be right. Now, this is a great principle for understanding some aspects of training up your children. We have a very young church. Most of you in here are young couples, and you're having kids left and right, and your kids are always, somebody's always with child, and there's always babies being born. There's always showers happening, and there's always, uh, uh, you know, the nursery's full back there, and people are, and that's a good thing. And, uh, it, but it's a great principle here. When God formed his plan to reach the world, he did it through the family. That was his plan. He did it with children that are totally dependent on the parents. That was his plan. Get a mom and a dad who love God, <coughs> put in their family through a natural union, children. And then <coughs> mom and dad, long before that child gets the age of accountability, long before that child gets to the point where he understands anything about God. In the Bible, you have a virtuous woman who's a type of the church, and you have a son of God who's a type of the church. Those are two concepts. So a child growing up, he begins to see the virtuous woman in his mother and the right relationship of a child of God with his father. And it begins to form for him a pattern. Now, <clears throat> you've got to see what I'm trying to tell you today. You have to see this. This is why children, when they come into your world, into your family, they're innocent. They don't know anything about sin. <clears throat> they, they, they're, they're transparent. You know exactly. There's no guile in them. There's no, there's no deceit. There's no betrayal. They're just little kids in innocence that are trusting, that are straightforward, that if you ask them something, they'll, they don't know to lie yet to tell you. They'll just tell you. Now, they'll get to a place where they can do that, but that's not the way it starts out. Children are very innocent. They're very honest. I know they've got an old sin nature, but yet the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 13, in that innocent stage, no sin is imputed to them yet. They're like Adam and Eve and little children in the garden. They're an innocent. It didn't bother Adam and Eve to run around naked all day. So your kids will run out the front door naked down the street, not bothering them at all. It's a, it's a thing where they, 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 there was an, an innocence to them. And in their transparency and their innocence and their simplicity, they become very moldable and very teachable. God's design is to lay a foundation in their life. And this will be the time when you don't have to deal with sin in the way you're going to have to deal with it if you wait till later. You know why so many parents have problems with their kids when they're 9, 10, 11, 12, or 14 and 15 when they decide they're going to do what's right and make them toe the line? You know why that is? I'm going to tell you why that is. Because you missed the innocent time of their life. You missed the time in their life where they had no other interests. They had nobody else pulling on them. There was no opposition at that point in their life to God or God's truth. And most parents completely miss this. Having a successful child will simply depend on that best time in their life. Who lays the foundation that you'll build on for the rest of their life? You and God or you and the devil? It's just that simple. As a parent, the greatest aspect you can provide for your family will be a simplicity of life, not a complexity of life. This is a great mistake that parents make today. And they wonder why their kids have problems. They wonder why their children have issues. Most of the time today, parents completely destroy the innocence of their children by making life so complex. 
God never intended it to be that way. Many times, parents only think of themselves and making one bad choice after another, and then they drag their kids at an early age through all of those troubles and problems, and those kids lose their innocency long before God intended it to. A child by God's design will be very simple and very transparent, and because he is, he's very moldable, he's very teachable, because he's very trusting. God designed it that way. So the parents would have the advantage to mold them and to train them and to teach them. But when you drag your kids through divorce court, you have your children illegitimately outside of marriage. You know, I, when I grew up, and it was, you know, Jake, uh, Maddie is right, I'm 67 years old this week. I remember when I was a kid, your age, Maddie, 15 or 16, divorce is something that movie stars did. I remember when Liz Taylor, she, uh, she's dead now, but Elizabeth Taylor, uh, I mean, she, I think she was married five or six times. I remember the first guy she was married to, and then she got married to somebody else. She was married to somebody else and somebody else. And every time it would hit the tabloid, the, all the people would be shocked because nobody got a divorce back then. Now, not only today is divorce commonplace, but having children outside of marriage and having illegitimate children with no really father to their name in a legal sense. It reminds me of the verse back in Proverbs where the wicked woman just does her sin and then wipes her mouth like she just finished eating and goes her way. And we today have been entrusted with the greatest, greatest, greatest treasure the world has ever seen. It's our children. And God has given them to us in the early stages in complete innocence. And we are the ones who destroy that innocence where God wanted them to grow up in a very simple and a very nice and a very easy life, we make it so complex. They have to deal with divorce court. They have to deal with no legitimate father or a legitimate mother. They have to deal with restraining orders. They have to deal with fighting and cussing and, and going back and forth. <clears throat> they need to have to deal with physical abuse, mental abuse, they have to deal with court orders that say you can't go here, you can't be here. They have to deal with visits from the DFS that come down and, and, and ask them all kinds of questions that they don't know and they're afraid that they may be taken out of the home. Years of fear, years of uncertainty. Multiple parents. A child being put into position that they got to choose between a mom and a dad. And many times the parents will use that kid as a pawn to get back to the other. God gave us our children because they're transparent. And a child is known by his doing. You ought to be able to look at your child in its innocence and its transparency. And because you can mold them, you know exactly where that child is. But Oh, no, no, no. We drag in all the complexity of all the things of life that were our bad choices. Their little fragile emotions are torn apart because of two parents. The other spouses, mom and dad, a mom who wants to do what's right and the dad who doesn't, 
So he gets back at the mom. She tries to come to church, bring him to church, and the dad undoes everything they do with church. Or you did vice versa. The dad wants to do what's right, but the mom's got to go see him. How do you win in that? And it's all because of our bad choices. It's all because of the fact that at some point in our life, we simply did not follow the principles. Now, I want you to get something. You may be saved this morning and on your way to heaven. And the devil can do nothing about it, and he's never going to get your soul in hell. But I guarantee you, he'll be after those kids. Now, there's two things you can begin to do. And I see it here a lot. And I'm not castigating anybody who's been divorced or whatever. I Please, I'm not. We all make mistakes. Don't get the wrong impression. I'm talking about the innocence of our children and the things that we do. And there's two things that you can do right now. The first one is stop making bad choices. And that will automatically bring about the second one when you start to reverse the process. Now, going back here for a second, when it comes to you and me as a Christian, over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul was was worried about us. He wrote it to the church at Corinth, and he, 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 he was worried that the devil would corrupt us from the simplicity that's in Christ as God's child. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he says, but I fear, he makes an example back to Eve, who's the first type of the church in the Bible. He says, but I fear by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. You know that's what's wrong with Christianity today? The devil did exactly that. Paul's worst fear has been realized. Because there's nothing simpler in the world than Christianity. There's nothing simpler in the world as a relationship with Christ. There's nothing simpler in the world than the Bible. And you think it's tough and hard because Christianity has told you now and they've taken from you your innocence. They've taken from you the simplicity that was in Christ and made it complex. That's exactly what they've done. Eve was corrupted from the simplicity of in Christ. Yes, she sure was. Eve was corrupted from the simplicity that was in Christ. The total corruption of our minds from the simple simplicity of Christ. When God put Adam and Eve down down there in, in Eden, it was a garden. A very simple life. A very basic life. A very innocent life. A life where there was no great toil or work. It was the most... It was the most peaceful, innocent, the most simplistic concept that you could ever have. It was man, a murderer, who built the first city in the Bible. And with that city comes all the complexity. And in Christianity, Paul was afraid that somebody would take from you the simplicity of the Bible, Christ, and everything that God wants to do, and now make you think that it's complex and hard. And in like manner, when it comes to our children, we will, we will live our lives outside the principles and never see our children being destroyed by us taking the number one thing God intended them to have, and that's the innocence, the innocence, the innocence to grow in simplicity. You making their life simple. 
you keeping their life as peaceful and content and as simplistic as it can be. You keeping their life to the point where it just is absolutely the most basic, fundamental things of love and warmth. And then we wonder why our children do not not obey authority. And the answer is, is because we didn't obey authority. Little children follow the patterns through simplicity. They'll watch mom and dad. They'll watch mom as the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. They'll watch dad as the son of God. And in that, they'll be trained. They'll be influenced. And at a time in their life where they don't have anything pulling on them. There's no friend trying to get him to do this. There's nothing else. Sin has not been imputed to them yet. And the parent can look at that child through his transparency and know exactly what that child is doing, know exactly what he's thinking because they're so open and they're so honest. And yet, they grow up at four, five, and six and they're disrespectful. I've had kids at four, five, and six when I I, I hear stories in the nursery back there where uh, some of you will try to correct them and they'll stick their tongue out at you. They'll go... I had a kid one time, I walked over and said hi to him. He's about five, six years old. He kicked me. <laughs> How does a kid at four, five, and six get so disrespectful that when an adult talks to them and tells them to do something, that they stick their tongue out at them and defy them? And they grow up at six, seven, and eight, and now they begin to lie. They'll lie about everything. And they grow up at 10, 11, and 12, and now they'll steal. They'll grow up at 15, 16, and 17, and they'll defy authority. And they'll grow up at 18 and 19, 20, and the world has them. And yet the truth of the matter is the parents taught them every one of those things. Every one of those traits that go against the principle of the Word of God, the world didn't teach them. Mom and Dad taught them. And the mistakes we continue to make, by making bad choices. My advice to people who have had a failed marriage is real simple. And I don't fault anybody. You know me. You're, I, I, I understand. I understand. I realize that some of you got into a marriage before you found the truth. I get that. I understand. I also understand that some of God's people knew the truth and they keep making bad choices. I get that too. I understand. I'll take you either way. This is not a judgment or a criticism on anybody. If you think it is, then that's between you and God and your conviction. But I'll tell you what, my advice to people who have had a failed marriage, don't have another one. Find out where you failed uh, before you start another one. Because here's the deal. We always want to blame it on the other spouse. We always want to say, well, you didn't know my ex-wife. Well, you didn't know my ex-husband. Hey, they made the most terrible person in the world. I get that. I understand that. But it takes two to tangle. (laughs) Probably didn't get that on camera, but I made a great sweeping turn as I came back on the other side. Because in any situation, it'll always be the children to pay the price. Hey, you just go on with another relationship. 
and you're so caught up in yourself and what you want to do, you'll never get honest with yourself and stop and say, what's wrong with me? Where did I fail? Look deep inside my... Instead, we just go into another relationship, and you know what? We bring all that drama into the next one. And the children have always paid a price. The price for the lack of discipline in principles. And yet I've seen some parents in bad situations that do an incredible job. Our church has got a number of people in it who went through bad marriages. And they, they turned it around. Their children are wonderful. They did everything that they need to do right. But that's the key. They looked at themselves and they got honest. And they said, you know what? I got to fix about me some things that need to be fixed. Now look at the next verse. Verse 12. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. Uh, going back to you and me now, as God's child, God gave me ears to hear. Ears to hear his instructions and the eyes to see its value in life. In the Bible, you'll find where God will say, especially in the Gospels, he'll say, he that hath ears, let him hear. In other words, there's times in the Bible where God says, you really need to hear this. Israel's biggest problem over in Matthew chapter 13, verse uh, 15 was the fact that their ears were dull of hearing. You know, our ears get dull of hearing sometimes. We don't want to hear the truth. Some of the things I've said already right now, you've already turned out. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to deal with it. You'll never look inside you and say, what do I need to fix? But you'll sure fix all the things you don't need to fix. You're like the guy across the street. He paints his house every six months. Doesn't need painted. I paint mine every 25 years. It needs it after 25 years. He's out there painting it every six months. Every six months he's repainting it. You know why? It's a waste of time. Doesn't need it. Quit working on the things that you don't need to work on and start looking at the things that you need to fix. Bible says over there to the church in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, that ears that turn away from the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And that's saved people too. You see, when you listen to something, you just pay attention. But when you hear something, there's an application to change. God gave us ears to hear. Most God's people on Sunday, they come and listen, but they never hear anything that's said. Uh, some of you do. You're taking notes down there. You're digging into it. But you've got people that come every, at every church across the country. They'll come. They'll sit. And they'll hear what I say. And they'll even say, that was a great church. And they'll go out and continue to do exactly what they're doing. Nothing changes in their life. Guy said to me one time, well, I don't come to Bible study anymore because you guys just talk about the same old stuff. And I said, yeah, you don't learn it anyhow, do you? The price of learning is repetition. You've got to go over and over and over things in life to get them down. For me and you, we are to hear what the book says and then to, to look at the models and the examples he's given me in life through the Word of God, and then let those things affect the change in me. Then God gave you eyes. He gave me eyes to see the things of God, to read His precious Word, and to see His heart and everything, uh, His hand and everything uh, in life. Eyes to see and understand God as He really is. Eyes to be able to see and understand the principles of God's Word. 
Proverbs 3, verse 21 says, My son, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Always before you. Always be looking at it. Always be looking at it. Uh, and, and Now, as it applies to our children, going back to the second aspect, verse 12, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. Now, our children, just like you and me, were given eyes and ears by God. Our children will learn by association early on in life. That's why God made them so innocent. That's why God made them so uh, uh, separate from the world, imputed no sin to them, made them transparent, made them in the simplest form. You know why? Because that's the best way for association to soak into them. And our children will be taught and trained by just two things. What they hear us say as parents and what they watch us do as parents. And they'll associate with that. A child will not be all that they need to be just because you pray with them or read the Bible to them, though that's very important. But they're smarter than that. They watch what you do. They understand the pattern without even understanding the verse. But if any man love God, the same is known to him. Without even understanding the doctrine, they know that there are certain things that are going on with loving God, and they don't see them. And let's face it. Parents can be so selfish when it comes to their kids. They want what they want in life at the expense of their kids. They get bored in this and bored in that, so they'll venture out into some new deal, not think about the kids. They'll do what they want to do, never think about the damage of taking that little child and dragging them through all of the turmoil and all of the, all of the, all of the stuff that goes along with it, all of the drama. And, you know, uh, it's just that good. What, what, impacts, uh, what, what, it, what impacts to you will become, uh, or excuse me, what, what, what is important to you will become important to them. It's just that simple. And as a parent, when your life is filled with bad choices after 10 or 12 years of it, you know, I mean, you got more baggage than American Airlines. And you know what? When we sit down and you got to work through life and you got to get into this and you got to deal with that, you have to deal with that baggage. But you know what? You're so selfish in it that you don't understand. Your children got to deal with the same baggage. You think they're stupid? You think they don't know when you do the things that you do and you try to hide it from them? You think they're not smarter than that? Parents make a great mistake for thinking their kids are so stupid they don't know what's going on with mom or dad. That they don't see it. That when uh, mom and dad want to do their own thing and they want to go their own way, that the kids don't catch that. You know, parents just never see uh, how the choices that they make will affect the breakdown of the family. Destroy their innocence way before the time. And yet, I say it again, there's always something you can do. But you have to change some things. You can't fix the problems that you and I have with the same thinking that caused those problems. You have to stop. We have to look inside ourselves and we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to say, okay, here's some things I need to change. I had a bad situation here. What's going to keep me from dragging this right into the next one? And most people, as I said, started, they don't want to hear it. I see things in people's lives that I wish I had the license to go up and say, hey, I love you, but you're headed for a mess. You don't have that. And please, don't run up here afterwards and say, you have the license with me. I've been shot more that way than I have the other way. You say that way now because you're halfway decent with God. When you get out of fellowship with God, you're going to rescind that order. I don't do it. I just don't. I've seen many things in my Christian life with people that I wished I had the license to go up and they would listen. But they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't. 
They'd rationalize it. They'd get upset. They'd justify it. They'd say, well, you're judging me. Or they'd say this or they'd say that. So you just stay out of it. Sometimes, sometimes you have to make a real mess out of things before you see the issues involved. And you know what the tragedy is? Sometimes you make multiple messes and you still never see it. Because you listen, but you don't hear. You don't hear. Some of you guys, your wife, will tell you what's wrong with you and what you've got to fix. You'll listen, but you won't hear it. Some of your wives, your husbands will try to tell you what's going on with you. You'll listen, but you won't hear it. There's always something you can do. Pride will always keep us from getting to that point. We always want to focus on the fact that there's nothing wrong with me because we really like to believe that there's nothing wrong with us. And there's plenty wrong with us. Now look at the last part of verse 11. And whether it be right. A child will never learn what's right as long as mom and dad keep doing what's wrong. And in time, they steal that innocence. Not from the world or the devil, but mom and dad through the choices that they bring in, destroying way before they're ready. Parents and their tragic mistake on a continual basis will reproduce those same mistakes into their children. It may take a different format. My advice to his parents is simple. Do everything in your power to keep your kid in that simple, loving, warm, biblical atmosphere of innocence as long as you can. Keep his life, her life, simplistic. Let them enjoy the basic things of life. Your daughter gets to be 12, 13 years old. Don't let her dress like she's 20. That destroys the complexity. Don't, don't let her get makeup too soon when she looks like a possum hunter at Folksbury time. <laughs> let her enjoy. Let her enjoy it. <laughs> You're just right. You're just perfect. You're just right. I get my hair colored. Can you tell? You, know, okay. you, you want to keep that innocence as long as you can. And, and when, they're, when they're little, that innocence is the key, that transparency. Bible says a child is known by his doing. A, a parent ought to be able to tell where that child is at just by watching where they go. Hey, I got two dogs, and when I take them out to go to the bathroom, I can know in 15 seconds or less if they really got to go or not. They're just sniffing around and they're just sniffing the air. I know I'm wasting my time. If they're going around in a circle and the one is going back and forth, back and forth, she'll start out from here and going 10 feet. I'll just stand her. She goes back and forth. And as her, her distance shortens, she gets closer to going to the bathroom. Now, I can see you all got dogs the same way. <laughs> my point is this. If I can figure my dogs out, And you know how I know those dogs, when they got to go, when they don't got to go? Association with taking them out three times a day. I didn't read a book on when do dogs got to go. I didn't take a psychology class on the dumpings of dogs in your life. <laughs> I just took them out and through association of how the dogs fall into a pattern of going to the bathroom. Right there. I'll say, come on, I'll go out. They'll go up that thing, boy. If Buddy goes up there, if he's just dinking around, I'll say, come on, you don't got to go. If he's up there and he's serious about it, 
He's, he's serious. And you can tell when they're serious. Dogs are transparent. Dogs don't lie to you. They don't. If they don't watch you, they'll bite you. I've never had a dog wag his tail and lick you and then bite you. They'll either bite you or lick you. They're transparent. They're innocent. They don't have old sin natures. You know, they just, it's all association with them. They, 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 they listen to what I say. You know, we think, we think the dogs know their names. They don't know their names. It's like they're sitting in there, my name is Brutus. They don't know their name. They know association with what you call them. I did an experiment one time. My dog was sitting there, and, 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 they, and I said, you know what? I'm going to get in the garage. Tails are wagging. You know, I'm going to get in the garage, and I'm going to get an axe. And I'm going to start cutting your tail off, then your legs. Then I'm going to quarter you right down the line, and I'm going to straddle your pieces in a trash. And he's going, tail's going? He's excited about it. Then I went back and I said, I love you. You're the best dog I have. Tail between his legs and underneath the deal. I don't know what I'm talking about. They learn by association. Your children learn by association. They watch what you do. They listen to what you say. And they make association to it. And you train them. And if I could take my dogs out and know when they go to the restroom, you ought to know when your kids are doing right and doing wrong because they're in that innocent state. That's when you mold them. That's when you train them. That's when you give them the time when the world is not coming after them. You don't have any competition. It's just you and them. And if you've had a failed marriage, that's okay. It really is. I've known churches where if you were divorced, you had to go to a special class so you wouldn't taint the rest of the church. That's so stupid. You know, we want to have a, we want to have a divorce class for divorced people. Like, that's going to keep them from mingling with people who have not been... Uh, you know, you don't have to do that. You just fix what was wrong with you the first time so the second time you do it, it works well. That's all you got to do. You get back to that simple, basic structure of life based on the Word of God and God's principles, so that when you do decide to find a spouse, and 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says you can. This time it's run by the principles of the Word of God instead of around them. You know, I've talked about it many before. Genesis chapter 24 has 19 principles of finding a spouse. You will not find anything better on this planet. But they don't follow it. I would say learn from the mistakes you made in life and don't, uh, and don't go through life uh, making the same ones over again. I had a, no, you know, nobody remembers this, so I can use it. We had a, a guy here uh, a number of years ago. He, he'd been married five times. And uh, he was a nice guy, nice guy. But he had some real relationship problems. Now, I want to say something. If you're, I give you the first one because we all can, you know, but you get married three, four, five, you've got some relationship problems. There's something wrong with you. And this guy was a charmer. He, he could charm women, you know, and women would fall in love with a big, good-looking guy, you know. But once he got, when they got a relationship, he treated them terrible, absolutely terrible. Once he got into married him, he was a control freak. 
He told them what they could spend, where they could go, what they could do, and he just kept going through. He just, he just could not have a normal relationship. We had a lady here a while back, a long time ago, you don't remember that. My last count, she'd been married nine times. I mean, you talk to her about her former exes, she can't keep the name straight. She keeps them on a little scorecard. Now, you know you're married nine times, you've got some issues in life. And they only ever last about a year and a year and a half and then move on to somebody else. Don't you know that that's, that's, those are problems in relationships that have to be fixed? I, I obviously don't think they could be fixed. But you've got some relationship issues. Maybe you have some anger issues. Maybe you have some trust issues. Maybe you have just basic fundamental relationship issues. But they've got to be fixed before you move on to the next one. In both cases, when you would talk to those people about their formers, it was always the other ex's fault. Well, he was a jerk. Well, he may have been. I would think after, it, in nine marriages, I would think you would be able to figure out what a jerk is and what a jerk isn't before you married him. What's your problem? You know, it comes down to getting honest with ourselves. Honest on ourselves in relationships and honest with ourselves with our children. Or you'll just carry it right on to the next relationship and your kids through association will get their innocence destroyed. Hearing ear and the seeing eye. Bible says that the light of the body is the eye. Psalms 94 verses 8 and 9 says, Understand ye brutish among the people, and ye fools when ye be wise. He that planted the ear shall not hear, and he that formed the eye shall not see. Uh, fools never see or hear what they need to hear or see. They're always getting offended by it or blaming it on somebody else, but they'll never turn it inward when they look at themselves. Israel, the greatest condemnation of Israel was a thousand years of bad choices. A thousand years in their history. Proverbs 29, 13 says, The poor and the deceitful man meet together. The Lord lighteth both their eyes. And Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. At the entrance of thy word giveth light. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 23 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Then he says this, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. You see, verse 22 says, The light of God in your life and your body depends upon the singleness of your eyes. Both eyes are single in the area. They see things in a single way. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. They look at something in a simplistic way. Both eyes focused on one single thing, the principles of the Word of God. Singleness of eye will lead to singleness of mind, which leads to singleness of heart. That's the simplicity of Christ. Just simple. Just not a lot of things. Single. Singleness. Then it talks about uh, your eyes, your whole body will be light of God's Word. But it says if the eye be evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then verse 23 is an incredible verse. It says a light that's in you that is darkness. Now, how can a light be darkness? Because it's a false light. It's something that maybe looks Christian or spiritual, but isn't biblical or scriptural. 
It's something that sounds good. It's something that sounds plausible. It sounds like good advice. But in actuality, it's going to lead to a disaster in your life. A false light. A false light of tradition, religion. A false light of rules. A false spirituality that are not found in the Bible that will, that will kill the innocent and destroy any family. And it leads to us to do our own thing in a false biblical way. Boy, have I seen God's people ever go their own way, do their own thing, and honest before Lord Almighty, actually try to justify it without any principles in the Word of God. You know what that is? That's a light that's in you that is darkness. It gets us into trouble and destroys all that God has for us and takes from our children the number one thing that they will have to have to build everything in their life, simplicity. Simplicity of life, simplicity of Christianity, simplicity of a relationship with God, and simplicity of the Bible. Allowing your child to enjoy those years of innocence and building God's Word into their life through that process. I won't tell you something. Your child, when they're born and they're not young, before that sin is imputed to them, they're in innocence. Bible says the child is known by his doing. You can know everything about them because they're so open, if you're paying attention, if you're watching, if you're using the principles. Uh, and you're going to find that uh, uh, it, it's a great. The greatest model in the Bible is Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were like little children. And you find the characteristic of little children in Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were out there, they run around naked and it didn't bother them. So your kids run around naked, they're not ashamed. Adam and Eve, when they did something against God, they ran and hid. So when your kids do something, they run and hide. Adam and Eve, when they finally got caught, they blamed it on the other. And when your kids get caught, they'll blame it on the brother or sister. You sit down there with a bowl of fruit or put a, a, a bowl of fruit over here and vegetables over here, your kids will take the fruit every time. And why do you always got to tell your kids, quit putting that in your mouth. Don't put that in your mouth. They got an affinity for putting something in their mouth. It goes back to the characteristics all the way to Adam and Eve, who were like children. They were transparent. They were easy to read. When God came down after they had sinned and they're hiding from him, God's walking through the garden and says, Adam, where art thou? People get the idea that God didn't know where they were. God knew exactly what bush they were hiding under. Sometimes God will ask you where you're at when he already knows where you're at just to see if you'll get honest to say where you're really at. And then what did Adam say? He said, did you eat of that? Well, yeah, the wife you gave me. Like, it's your fault, God. And then she said to Eve, did you eat that? Well, the devil made me do it. Your child is in innocence, but that innocence only lasts for so long. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1 says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. I'm going to tell you something. Every parent in this room, you better listen to me. There's an evil day coming in your kid's life. There's an evil day coming where they're going to lose their innocence. And you better hope by God's, uh, by God's grace that you're not the one who breaks that innocent and brings that evil day to it before it gets there. It'll come on its own. Your job in that innocent period of time is to build them up and get them ready. Not to isolate your kids from the world, but to insulate your kids from the world. Because it's coming. It's coming. 
There's a day coming when that kid is going to face that evil day that they're going to have to be on their own and the decisions they make are going to go right back to what you did with the innocence in their life and how simplistic that life was that you saw that and you built into their life. And that evil day comes for one reason. That evil day is aimed at one thing and it will accomplish it. It will destroy the innocence of your child. No longer will they be innocent. Now they'll know right and wrong. Now they'll be faced with decisions. Now they'll have friends that'll try to pull them away. Now they'll have influences in their life that they hear. Everything they see, everything they read for the rest of their life will have one purpose, that's to pull them away from God. And if you didn't take the innocence of that time and that transparency of that kid, and yet you brought in all of your baggage, you introduced them to all the things of the world by your mistakes long before they would have had to deal with it. And all that evil day comes just like it did with Adam and Eve. When the devil showed up and their evil day came, <coughs> he simply said, Yea, hath God said? <coughs> now the evil day has one purpose, and that is to get them to question what God told them. And it comes down to what you built into their life when they were innocent, which way they go. <coughs> There's an evil day coming under your child's life, a day when they will lose that innocence. And then they will be faced with all the things of the world that they have to choose now. Right now, young children, their mindset is when it comes <coughs> to the world and the sin of the world, when they're little, when they're innocent, you know what they say? I have no pleasure in them. And you, the parent, have the opportunity to train and to mold them without the world, without the influence, through their innocency, without any sin, without any guile, without any of the issues. But so many parents, it's not the devil or the unsaved world that destroys the innocence of that child before it's time. It's the parents themselves with all the issues that they bring in. The great drama queens, the great drama kings. And in every case, the kids pay the price. They always will. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. We talk about the armor of God. We preach on it. <coughs> we all know it. Seven pieces of armor that God gives us that we might be able to withstand and stand for the Lord. And Ephesians chapter 6 is a great study in the armor of God. But I want you to notice the context of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. The context of Ephesians 1 is your children. You know when you start putting the armor on your kid? As soon as you start putting clothes on them. You build it in their innocence. You build the Word of God and the principles and the armor in their transparency before there's any sin, when they still come to the place that they trust you explicitly. That they believe everything that you say. There's no other outside influence now going to creep in at this time. And you now have what? Five, six, seven, eight, maybe nine years? That at the end of that time period, through the simplicity, the non-complexity, through you recognizing that child can be known by his doings and building and molding him through that innocence and that transparency... The simple fact, children are not destroyed by the world. Children are destroyed by their parents. And the quicker you get that, the better off you're going to be. 
parents that in their lives <coughs> introduced the world, the flesh, and the devil way too soon into their children's lives by the reckless lifestyles that they've made. I've had people, I had a woman one time, she, she had a child and she didn't do right with the child and the child just totally rebellious, totally. And the child, as it got older, just manipulated the mom unbelievably. The child had kids and she would hold the kids hostage against the mom, you know, grandmother and just get everything she wanted. She worked that woman up one side and down the other. And that woman would come in and talk to me, and I would always tell her what she needed to do. She never had the courage to do it. She went from person to person in the church, whining about her situation and how desperate she was, but everybody told her the same thing, and she didn't want to hear it. And one time I did a series on child training, and I went really hit the thing hard. I didn't even think about her. I was just preaching to all the other people that I had in my church. She got mad and she left the church. You know, I'm always pleased when people leave my church because I preach the truth. I would be heartbroken if somebody left because I didn't preach the truth. That would really bother me. But when I take the Bible and I lay out what you're supposed to be as a parent, and you know what you're supposed to be, and you know what you're supposed to do, and yet you're such a stronghold in your life that that child dictates everything in your world, I get it. Like leaving is going to fix your problem. But that's, that's moms and dads, you see. That's, I want to fix everything else in my life that don't need fixing, but the real thing that's broke, I don't want to get near and I don't want you to tell me about it. Sorry. I have a tremendous responsibility and I feel a tremendous responsibility to you young couples here. I do. And I say you're the best couple. We bring in a lot of guys and a lot of gals who have had bad marriages. I covet them. I think they're the best thing in the world because most of them come in here really wanting to fix and get on with their life. I am absolutely in your camp. You can have as much as me as you can stand to help you wherever you're at because I believe in that kind of deal. And I realize that this kind of ministry, that's what God does. It's an oasis for so many people who are broken. It's a place to get a fresh drink of water in a world that will drive you to thirst. It's a place where you can come in with any problem you got with all the baggage you got. And you know what? You don't have to go through a thing. I'll go through all your baggage for you. I'll do it. You don't have to do it. Throw them up on the table. <laughs> okay. You won't need these anymore. Lucky strikes are out. Jack Daniels is out. <clears throat> I can keep that. Yeah, you're definitely going to need this. Yeah, wash this. Nope, don't need those. Now, these are running shoes. You don't need running shoes anymore. You're not running anymore. One time, years ago, Bill and Missy, before they were long before they were married, uh, Missy came in to see me. And uh, she was struggling with some things in life, you know, and she'd come to church, and she'd, she was just going through a lot of things a long time ago. I'll never forget. I never forgot this. 
She came in one afternoon to my, to my office and she says, Bob, she says, I want you to help me. And I said, I'll be glad to help you. She says, I want you to know before we go any farther, before I came in here, I threw away my running shoes. I ain't running anymore. She, she, she was wrong. She is running. She's just running the right direction now. She's running pretty good. So get rid of the running shoes. I'll go through your baggage for you. Because I know what happens when you go through it. It's like cleaning my garage. No, I can't throw that away. I've not used it in 20 years. But I'm not throwing it out in case I ever need it. I got a, got a broom that's got a handle broke on it. You know what? I can make something out of that handle. I'm going to keep it. I got this over here that I haven't, I didn't even know I had it. And, I, you know, somebody would look at it and say, oh, man, what do I need that for? I haven't seen that in 30 years. I see it and say, man, where's it been? <laughs> so I don't want you going through your luggage. I'll go through your baggage. I'll have one of my people go through your baggage. I always looked at discipleship as uh, it does a lot of things. Discipleship is something that really lays a foundation in life. Ten basic lessons, you know, just gives you an understanding of the Bible and God. They're great. I, I think they're really good. And many of you, most of you, not all of you, do a phenomenal job with it. But I look at discipleship as, as, as a little more than that. Discipleship is your first introduction to a new life in Christ many times, or a real life in Christ. And I know that when people come in, they got baggage. It's like going into a foreign country. Uh, I've, I've, come, I've traveled all around the world, and Africa was the worst. I mean, they, they, just, they, 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 they open up everything, they take everything out, and then they wait for you to give them money. And you give them this, they'll put this back. You give them this, you put this back. I just, finally, after four or five trips, I said, okay, let's cut to the quick. How much for the whole deal? But that's what discipleship does. When you come in here, everybody's got issues. And we want to help you with our issues. We're not against anybody. We're not, we're not going to hurt anybody. This is probably, I, I have designed this church to be the one thing a church should be. And I know it's different. It's got its issues like all churches. I know that. I get it. I get it. But I'll tell you, in one thing, I've designed this church in one way to be what every church should be. I can't speak for the rest of them, but I will guarantee you, I, can guarantee, I can't guarantee everything about this church, but I can guarantee you one thing. This will be the safest place you'll ever be. No one will hurt you here. You may hurt yourself, but no one will hurt you here. We may hold you accountable. Try to, <laughs> but no one will hurt you here. This is, this is your safe haven. This is your place where you can come busted, broken, beat up, broken legs, busted ribs, bloody nose, and you can come here and you can heal. And you can find out how that you can go on with your life and never have to get another busted leg, bloody nose ever again. Because that's what churches are supposed to be. A child is known by his doing. And when we understand that great principle and we take our children and we see that age of transparency where they're so, just so perfectly moldable. And that innocence, that trust, that childlike faith and the molding of his or her life all that God wants them to be. And we do it through our life. Kids don't just look at what we say, they listen and look at what we do, ears and eyes. And that's why this lesson 
is such an important thing. It shows, first of all, you and me to God. That our relationship with Christ, don't make it complicated. Don't make it complicated. I, I, people call me with questions in the Bible all the time, and I always tell them, you're making it too complicated. It, it, it's not that complicated. It, it's, it's very simple. Everything about God is simplistic. You know, salvation is the most simplest thing on the planet. It is, but what does man do? We try to make it baptism. We try to make it works. We try to make it joining a particular church. We try to make it everything that com makes it complex. It's not. It's just simple. Do you know you're lost? Do you want to go to heaven? Christ died for you. Here's what you do. It's just that simple. Want to have a relationship with God? Fear God and keep His commandments. How simple is that? Just realize that the book God gave you is now your flashlight in the world of darkness. Flip it on and walk through the life and skip the manholes and all of the booby traps the devil's place for It's just that simple. And yet we try to make things so complex. And then the second thing is our children. Take them in their innocence. Mold them. Make them. Love them. Give them that, give them that innocent time. Guard it. Make it the most simplistic thing in their life. Don't let them grow up too quick. They'll come fast enough. Keep that evil day at bay as long as you can to get as much time in their world. But it'll come. It'll come. And when it comes, they'll be set. They'll be ready to go. And then you'll already have the relationship that nobody on this planet, nobody, no science teacher, no gym teacher, no coach, no friend, no boyfriend, no girlfriend, will ever have more influence in your child than you do. Because you spent the time in their innocence laying that foundation. Well, we'll hold up there. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you for the Word of God and for its truth and for its power. Thank you for the folks here today. Thank you for the blessings of the Word of God. And uh, thank you for our good children. And I love them. we got some of the best kids uh, in this church that you could ever want. Uh, and it goes back to the parents. Parents doing what the Word of God says. Taking their children seriously. Realizing that even if they may have made mistakes in life, that they can turn those things around and they can get profitable, and they can do it, and they can make things happen the way they did. Even if a kid's 12 or 13 years old and he missed that innocence, there's always something you can do to redeem the time. And Lord, we're here to help them. We're here to make that happen. We're here to love them, to give them a safe place of innocence that they can grow uh, with you. And bless us now, give us a good day, and thank you for all the things that you do for us. In Jesus' name, I shake we ask it. Amen. All right, we'll hold